0: Take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter number 2, 1 John chapter 2, and our ushers are making their way through the congregation. If you did not receive a copy of this morning's notes, please just raise your hand. They'll help you with that. I um, believe these notes can be a help as we're preaching what's called an expository series on the book of 1 John. We're going verse by verse, where necessary, word by word to completely explain the Word of God. And as we do this, we're on message number seven of this series. And uh, this morning we get to a passage of Scripture that if you've been saved any length of time, you've heard a message, not read this, but you've heard a message on this particular passage of Scripture. And so in just a moment, we'll stand together uh, to read 1 John chapter 2 and 3 verses this morning. Um, uh, This this past week... uh, uh, Pastor Freymeyer was here and we enjoyed that fellowship and just getting caught up on things that are going on in his ministry and uh, he was telling us that one of the things that he likes to do is to get out of cell phone range and that is get out and go hunting and he could just be by himself um, uh, with the Lord and hunting And but he was telling us that he was hunting here recently. And, uh, and there was a grizzly bear who actually mauled and killed a man, and, um, and so he decided that he wasn't going to go hunting by himself anymore. I think that's probably uh, a wise decision. It reminds me of the story uh, about a man who went bear hunting uh, because he wanted a fur coat. And after a long day, and I realize this illustration could be hard for some of you to understand with it being uh, the heat that we have here. But there's other parts of the country where they do wear winter clothes and coats. And he wanted a fur coat. And uh, after a long day, he finally had his grizzly bear in his crosshairs. And suddenly the grizzly bear says, wait, stop, don't shoot. Startled, the... uh, the hunter uh, uh, said, um, oh, oh, I mean, he was stuttering and stammering, and he was like, what is going on here? And, and, um, and, uh, and the grizzly bear said, let's talk this over. What do you really want? And the hunter said, well, I, I want a fur coat. And um, that had to be awkward, a hunter talking to the grizzly bear. But anyway, he said, I want a fur coat. To which the grizzly bear said, well, I want a meal so let's negotiate just a short time later the grizzly bear emerged from the woods with a full stomach and in a manner of speaking the hunter had his fur coat now there's a point to that illustration Uh, the central theme of the passage we're about to to read is that uh, having uh, a love for the world and a love for God they're incompatible you can't negotiate. One of you is going to get devoured. So with that in mind, let's stand together out honor and respect to the reading of God's word as we read three verses. In 1 John chapter 2, I'll read verse 15 and verse 17. You'll read verse 16. The word of God simply says, very directly, as a command, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Here's what I find. If we try to negotiate with the world, we will always lose. Just like the silly illustration of a hunter negotiating with a grizzly bear, he had no chance but to lose. And when we try to negotiate with this world, we're negotiating with the devil. We're negotiating with the system of this world. And we will lose. Father, I pray that you will help us in this message to carefully exegete this passage so that in no manner uh, is it um, bringing dishonor to what the intended purpose was when it was written. I pray that you help each one of us to open our ears and our heart to the message and that we might make a determination after this message uh, to not love this world. Lord, would you bless these next few minutes And help each one of us to be able to stay focused on this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want you to be reminded this morning that I believe that 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 goes along with this passage of scripture. The Bible simply says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I want you to make no mistake this morning, the devil... Lucifer, the evil one, is seeking to devour you, to ruin your fellowship with God, to ruin your fellowship with other Christians, to thwart your spiritual maturity. His number one tool is to cause us to leave the love of God and to fall, grow in love with the world. That's why John tells us not to love the world, not to love the things of the world. In your handout, there is a quote from a commentator that I read that simply says this. Surely, this is a much-abused passage. Each of us have heard it used to denounce everything from buttons to beer, from opera to operations. Anything that is currently the subject of a Christian disfavor has been crammed into this passage labeled worldliness and denounced. I grew up in a ministry in West Virginia, and sadly, uh, um, as a child growing up, and in my teenage years, I heard things like this, that it is a sin for a man to have a beard. I never could reconcile in my mind how they plucked out Jesus' beard, but it was, it was sinful for a Christian to have a, a beard, because we know that Jesus never sinned. Um, based on that teaching, we would have never been able to invite uh, Brother Ragsdale to the pulpit this morning. I grew up in a uh, in an environment where that if a lady had a skirt that had any slit in it at all, that it was worldly, and it was taught that from the pulpit. And they would often use First John chapter two, verse fifteen through seventeen, as the basis for that. May I just tell you that that is a clear, misguided teaching from the Word of God. And I don't want to add to anyone's list of do's and don'ts. I'm interested in us understanding, not denouncing. And so let's do an exposition or examination of these three verses. And examination number one is this. Our greatest danger is simply this. To have a love affair with the world. To have a love affair with the world. And so we see here, we read it, the command. The command is very clear. Do not love the world. John gives us an imperative statement, a command. My mother used to give the command, do not run in the house. Running through the house was something that I could actually control. It was within my power to choose to obey or disobey. And as a believer, loving the world is something that I can actually control. And if we're going to have fellowship with God, we are commanded, do not love the world. Now, what does John mean? There's that word, world. World comes from a Greek word, cosmos. In fact, uh, uh, just as information, we get our word cosmetic from this Greek word, cosmos. But let's understand, first of all, that the world does not refer to the world of creation. That is not what John means. John uh, uh, here is trying to help us understand in our Christian life what this word world mean but when I think of creation God's created a beautiful creation for our pleasure and we're to enjoy all aspects of his natural world as a child I remember singing this is my father's uh, world I rest me in the thought of rocks and trees of skies and seas his hand the wonders wrought how many of you remember that song uh, uh an old song probably my children and my grandchildren have never heard that song a few uh the second thing i see here is that the word uh or term world does not refer to the world of humanity it does not refer to creation it is not referring to the world of humanity a few years ago, there was a song, if you're older, you will remember this. A bunch of singers got together and created a song entitled, We Are the World. I'm thankful that God has made all the peoples of the world unique. And we have our own practices and our customs and our cultures. And, and may I just say that God loves all the people of the world and wants them to come to Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 12, in verse number 13, thirty two I and I, if I be lifted up from earth, will draw all men unto me. John three and verse sixteen tells us, for God so loved the world world in the context of our passage refers to an ordered system, an arranged order, if you will. For example, we speak of the world of politics or the world of sports. We differentiate between time by speaking of the ancient world or the modern world. We even say that a certain person lives. In a world of his own. Uh, John tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. He's telling us not to be devoted to the world system that stands in opposition to God. The world of which he writes is a philosophy, it's a way of thinking, it's a way of living that ignores God. Many of you have spoken to me about how difficult it is to have a testimony in the workplace to talk about your faith because there are actually rules of your company that says that you cannot mention the things of God. May I tell you, that's a worldly philosophy. That is the world of which John is writing about. This is what Jesus meant in John 15 when he said, If the world hate you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. And if ye were of the world, the world would uh, uh, love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. If you have a testimony for the Lord, you will encounter hatred and opposition from the unsaved world. Note here that we're also not to love the things that are in the world. How do we know that if we love the world? We know that we love the world if we love the things of the world. World refers to a philosophy. Things refers to specifics. Growing up in West Virginia, it was not uncommon for us to drive up just into the edge of Pennsylvania, and we were introduced to what was referred to as the Amish country or the Amish people. It was strange. As a teenager, to see people still driving black wagons and, and pulled by horses and because this group of people wanted to avoid all modern conveniences. Why do they do that? In their teaching, the things that we enjoy as modern conveniences to the Amish people are the things of the world. The Bible says that we're not to love the things of the world, but it never says we can't use them. That's the difference where the Amish people have trouble with what we do. Um, I'm thankful that we have microwave ovens. I'm thankful that we don't have to have a hitching post and after church we all go out and get on our horse uh, to go home in a wagon. I'm thankful that we're going to be able to go out turn the key in the car, sit in air conditioning, and be able to go home. I'm thankful that we can use some of those things. Let me just say, love is not an emotion. Love is a decision. I enjoy sports, but if I would rather watch sports on TV than to read my Bible and have my time with the Lord, I've decided to love the world. There's nothing wrong with owning a nice car or a comfortable home, but if... I let those things keep me from serving God or having fellowship with His people. I've chosen. Whom my lover will be. There's nothing wrong with owning a TV. I would say, dare say, that in an auditorium this size, that 99 plus percent have some type of TV electronic gadget in your home, and having cable or subscribing to a platform that allows me to watch channels, uh, that is not inherently wrong or evil. But if I allow these things to fill my mind with garbage and keep me from my family and my responsibilities. Here's the thing, I am declaring that I love the world. I can invest my money wisely, and we should do that. But if I fail to use it as God tells me to do, I'm loving my money more than I love God. It really impacts every area of our life. God is not giving us a choice, he's executing a command here. He says this, do not Love the world. And in this context of spiritual maturity, we're taught to decide to obey God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I also see a principle here. There is the command, but the principle is we cannot love the world and Love God. It's incompatible. It's not possible to have a love for both. John says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of God is the antithesis of the love of the world. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verse 24, No man can serve two masters, for he, either he'll hate the one or love the other, or else he'll hold to the one and he'll despise the other. Ye cannot love God and money or mammon we must decide what or whom we will love. As you're thinking right now, what is your greatest love? Is it a person? A possession? Is it yourself, which is pride? What is the greatest object of your affection? There are a lot of believers who choose to love the world, and we We termed that a a, a week or so ago as baby Christians. And we remember that the chief mark of spiritual maturity is love. The love of God spilling over and out of our lives. And if we decide to love the world, the Bible teaches us that God's love will not flow through us. So if I have a love affection for the things of the world, it is impossible for God's love to spill out. Sometimes we love the world because we fail. We make a decision. We decide... um, uh, not to love God. And so there's a there's a uh, within our own ability to make that decision, love the world or love God. We tend to drift away from God slowly. We here's how it happens. We ignore prayer and Bible study, then we miss a Worship service here or there. And then we stop giving. And before we know it, we have slipped slowly far away from God. And I believe that every one of us this morning, we could identify someone that falls in that category. Someone has said this Most Christians have just enough of God to be miserable in the world, and just enough to the world to be miserable with God. I think that's what describes a lot of Christians today. They're miserable. Because of that constant pull and tug to love the world, love God. Love the world, love God. And they have failed to make the decision to obey the command. Man is designed to worship and we either worship the one true God or we worship something else. In Kyoto, Japan is an unusual place of worship. There's a place called the Temple of the Thousand Buddhas where people can literally design their own deity at this temple There are more than a thousand likenesses of Buddha and each one of them is slightly different The worshiper can pick and choose the one he likes best and often he finds a, a person that looks Closely to himself. And then here's what happens at that temple. They bow down to worship that deity, which is a dead piece of rock, stone, clay. And yet they will give uh, their loyalty and affection to someone that they believe is in their own image. And, but I'm saying this morning, if we decide to love God by obeying him, we deal with our sin. And ultimately, our desire is to look more like him rather than ourselves. Moses chose not to love this world Um, He chose not to love Egypt He chose not to love the things that the world offered in fact in Hebrews 11 and verse 25 It says that he choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt Moses made a decision. I'm going to love the world Or I'm going to love God. Examination number two that we read this morning, we find in verse 16. And our greatest compromise is a word called lust. Our greatest compromise is this word called lust. God has given us desires for the necessities of life. What are they? Food, clothing, shelter, sleep. But lust happens to be a perversion of those natural desires that God has instilled in us. Like a runaway roller coaster, lust is a natural desire that's out of control. Lust is a natural desire on steroids. Lust is a natural desire that has gone bonkers. It's out of control. John says this, all that is in the world can be divided into three categories of compromise. And in them we see Satan's tracks that stretch back all the way through the pages of Scripture to the Garden of Eden. And he lists these three areas. He lists the first one as the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh refers to illegitimate physical cravings, the longing to fulfill bodily appetites in a sinful manner. In the garden, Satan lured Eve into sin with a luscious piece of fruit that he said was good for food. We understand the lust of the flesh every time we go to a restaurant with a buffet or a food bar. We may have a legitimate need for food, but often we give our appetites over to this word called lust. What is lust? Lust is a natural desire to eat that's out of control that causes us to overeat. Who really needs a chicken fried, chicken fried fish, enchiladas, vegetables, and pie all in one meal? Americans and you know how I know that because marketers they understand the lust of the flesh if only the food on television really looked in real life like it does on television if only those things that they put on television really were that experience have you ever watched a beer commercial If you watch a beer commercial, it's the greatest thing in life until you're a pastor and you have to talk with a family that's about to be broken because of alcoholic abuses that take place because of that commercial that was marketed to look so delicious, so amazing, The truth of the matter is there are headaches and there is throw up and there is anger and there is abuse that happens and there are people who are arrested for DUIs all because people do not know how to control their desires and they are out of control. We understand the lust of the flesh as marketers do and that is that sex sells, beautiful women in skimpy clothing are used to sell motorhomes and cars and mufflers, and toothpaste. The world wants us and our kids to think that sex in any form is healthy and okay. May I just tell you, God says, love not the world. God gave the pleasure of sex, but it is the world that perverts it. Someone is bound to say, but pastor, God gave us sensual desires. Isn't it his fault? I say with great authority, no, James says this, let no man uh, say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and neither tempteth he any man. Evangelist Billy Sunday used to say this, that an excuse is a skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. When we indulge the lust of the flesh, it is truly a fatal attraction. He mentions here a second, not only the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes, In the garden, the Bible says that Eve saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. And the lust of the eyes targets our fantasy and our thought lives. And when we experience it in a moment of vulnerability, sometimes our fantasies become realities. And what enters into the mind through the eye gate is often played out in life. And this is why pornography is so dangerous and deceptive. I read something that is absolutely alarming, folks. This is If this statistic is true... It's terrifying. I read this week, according to worldly sources, not Christian sources, 78% of men are currently involved in pornography. 78% of men are currently involved in pornography. And women say, whew, that's not me. Oh, wait a second. This same survey showed That women, especially women below the age of 40, 56% of women are involved in pornography. The lust of the eyes. King David looked upon Bathsheba long before he had a sexual relationship with her. Commercials on TV appeal to the lust of the eyes. Why does that bacon double cheeseburger you get at the fast food restaurant not measure up to the image in the commercial because the image of the commercial has made uh, has carefully enhanced to make you hungry. Uh, why do automobiles constantly change body styles on their old uh, vehicles? There was nothing wrong with the old style, but they know this: the people will lust because of the eyes for that new body style. Why does Apple introduce a new iPhone every 18 months or so? Because basic marketing says this, if people see it, they will lust for it and they have to have it. There's some folks that have an, iPhone, an Apple iPhone 8 here this morning and it works just as well as those who have an iPhone 12. But many have lusted for the latest someone has well said we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like (laughs) that really defines the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes you say well neither one of those apply to me he mentions a third one and so one of these three are going to get all of us your pastor included and the third one is called the pride of life John has saved the most devious and tricky lust for last, called the pride of life. Pride is the out-of-control desire to awaken envy and admiration in other people. In the garden, Satan uh, tempted Eve with the fruit that was desirable to make one wise. He told her that if she ate it, her eyes would be open and she would be like God, knowing good and evil. The pride of life manifests itself in the desire to be known for people to see us, for people to pat us on the back, for people to recognize us. It affects the clothes we wear, the cars we drive, the homes we live. There's nothing wrong with these things but often our desire to have them is rooted in an arrogance or a pride to impress other people. We want glory. We don't want to give God glory. We want to keep it for ourselves. The world of religion is based On the pride of life we must constantly question our our motives and and some believers they will study the Bible not to have fellowship with God but that so that they can impress others with their knowledge of the Word of God it's a sure sign of spiritual immaturity Paul wrote to the church of Corinth in chapter 8 verse number one knowledge puffeth up but charity Envious. Some Christians go all out in apparent service, but their underlying motivation is not love, but self promotion. They want to be seen. They want to be appreciated. People get angry if they do not get recognized. The lust of pride is a tricky, it is a deceitful practice of the enemy. And we may look at others who are indulging in other lusts and say, Thank God, I'm not doing that. Thank God, I'm not that. Lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes person. Jesus even spoke of this subtle sin. He was teaching his disciples in Luke chapter 18. And he told about two men that would come to the temple to pray. Do you remember that story? One Pharisee, the religious person. He thanked God that he was not like other sinners. He stood up in his pious, looked around at the end of his nose. And he thanked God that he was not like all these other sinners here. And then Jesus told us about The tax collector who in humility cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. John says, all that is in the world is not of the Father, but is of the world. And if we're living in lust, we're out of fellowship with God because our lusts are not from God, but they are from this world. Now, if I could everyone look here just for just a moment. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, And the pride of life every person seated and standing here this morning we can find it easy to succumb to one of these natural desires that's out of control and when we live a life that's out of control that we have this love affection for the things of the world we cannot love God the way he intended and so that brings me to our third examination and final examination of this passage of scripture and that is this our greatest assurance is eternity our greatest assurance is eternity what do I do with the message this morning may I just remind you that the love of this world is temporary John says the world is passing away and the lust thereof everything about this world is transient it's all temporary the choice to love this world over God is a foolish choice Because its pleasures are, are few, its pleasures are fleeting, they do not last. May I say, sin is an expensive but utterly unsatisfying ride that is far that is over far too quickly. Many of us will pay a dollar to go to the fair and we'll ride a roller coaster and it's over before we get started. May I just tell you, that is like sin. It's expensive and it's over before you know it. John 1 verse 12 through 16 gives us the stages or the deception of sin. It says this, blessed is the man that endureth temptation for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted for God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, that out of control desire, and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, in other words, it begins in our mind, it begins in our ear gate, it begins in that thinking way more of ourself than we should. When lust hath conceived, when it has been birthed, when it has grown up inside of us, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, give attention to this lesson this morning. I think that We have to understand that all of us can succumb to this. But I'm so thankful to report to you, you don't have to live this way. It is temporary. also see the reward of obedience is eternal. The reward of obedience is eternal. John says, he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The great uh, reformer Martin Luther, he wrote this, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But the things that I have placed in God's hands... I still possess. We began with a command, and we're going to finish with a question. The command is this. Do not love the world. That's its philosophies. That's the things that are in the world. But this message ends with a question. Do you love the world, or do you love God? Do you love the world? Or do you love God? You cannot have both the love of the world and the love of God. Are you living for the here and now or the there and then? Jim Elliott was an evangelical missionary who was killed several years ago at the hands of the Akka Indians in South America. Before he died, he wrote this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And my friend, I would like to focus on the eternal Rather than the temporary. What about you? I used this illustration several years ago, but this is where the title of this morning's message comes from: Snakebitten. The story is told. uh, Iron Eyes Cody, who was a Native American actor who used to do TV spots for the campaign "Keep America Beautiful." And you may remember him as an Indian drifting alone in a canoe and how the, he saw all, how the, all of the waters were polluted all around him. And uh, it was a very powerful visual with the eyes because the commercial ended with just a single tear rolling down his cheek. And the tear told the whole story. Some years back, Cody, uh, he told the, the story of how the old Indi, Indian legend works. In the magazine guidepost. Many years ago, Indian youths, uh, they would go away in solitude to prepare for manhood. And one such youth hiked into a beautiful valley. He fasted and he meditated on what it was like to become a man. He was on his third day. And he looked up the surrounding mountains and he noticed one tall, rugged peak out in the distance. And it had the dazzling snow on top of it. He said, I will test myself against that mountain. And he put on his buffalo hide shirt. He threw his blanket over his shoulder. And he set off for the peak of that mountain in the distance. And when he reached the top, he stood on the rim of, that, uh, of what he said was the world. As he looked out as he was so high up in the air. He could see forever it seemed like. He heard a rustle at his feet. And he looked down. And there at his feet was a snake. The story is told. Before he could move, the snake spoke to him. The snake said, I'm about to die. It was, it was shivering. It's too cold for me up here. I'm freezing. Uh, there is no food and I am starving. Put me under your shirt and take me back down to the valley. This Indian lad on his journey, pilgrimage to adulthood, who had been out now several days, and had traveled through the valleys and up the side of the mountain, all as a single young man. He said, no, I have been forewarned. I know your kind. You are a rattlesnake. And if I pick you up, you will bite me. Not so, said the snake. I will treat you differently. If you do this for me, you will be special. I will not harm you. The youth, He resisted as the conversation went back and forth. But the snake was so persuasive and it had its beautiful markings. And at last, the youth picked it up. He tucked it inside his buffalo uh, jacket. And he began to make the journey back down to the bottom of the valley. As he reached the bottom of the valley, suddenly from within, the snake bit him. But you promised, said the youth. And the snake said these words, You knew what I was when you picked me up. And then it slithered away. I'd like to remind you this morning if we try to negotiate with the world, we will lose. If we try to negotiate with the world, you will be snake bitten. Do you love this world more than you love the things of God? If yes, you will get bitten. If you have an ongoing problem with the pride of life, if you have an ongoing problem with the lust of the eyes, if you have an ongoing problem with the lust of the flesh, you will get bitten. This week was Wednesday when I was finishing up my message. And there in my office... There were some things that I actually talked to the Lord about as I was convicted in my preparation for my own message that I present to you. We are finished. You can look up here. There's nothing else to write. In just a moment, we'll have a baptismal service, and we'll rejoice with those who will be baptized, and that'll be exciting. And we could quickly go on to where we're going to eat lunch and our afternoon nap and coming back this evening, and we can always so quickly go on to the next thing, but in this moment, in this very moment, could we not talk to the Lord about perhaps our out-of-control natural desire that's called lust? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You will die spiritually if you succumb to the temptation to fulfill the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, Father.